Welcome to the Smaller's Podcast. My name is Al Gavada. Thank you very much for joining us. It is episode number 12, and we're starting it off in kind of a somber note. This is the week, of course, of those terrible attacks in Paris that we're still seeing all the repercussions after, and uh, it just feels like a really odd time to be doing a show. I'm just going to be doing it. We're not going to be doing a feature track of the week this time around, and I hope you understand, but we will, we will do the uh, entertainment news that we usually do this week. We're going to kick it off with some info from boxofficemojo.com. Three new films cracked the weekend top ten, but last weekend's two new releases repeated at the top of the box office by large margin. Both Spectre and The Peanuts movie enjoyed strongholds from uh, last weekend with the new James Bond film faring especially well, enjoying the smallest second weekend franchise drop since Casino Royale, pushing the new title over $130 million. It was a holiday comedy Love the Coopers ranking highest among the newcomers, but the Bollywood film Prem Ratan Don Payo carried over its record-breaking into debut into a top ten finish here in the U.S. Meanwhile, Angelina Jolie by the sea hardly even registered in its 10th theater debut as the weekend itself was down 34.9%. Settling into number one for a second weekend in a row, the 24th James Bond film Spectre brought in uh, about $35 million for only a 49.7% drop. As impressive as that may be, it's overseas where the film is making the most waves this weekend. After breaking records in the UK, the film took in an estimated $48 million in China this weekend. If that estimate holds, it's looking at China records as the largest opening weekend and largest opening three days of all time for any two U.S. film. Add to that, it's already encroaching on the $59 million Skyfall made during its entire China run. Of that China number, $4.6 million came from 246 IMAX screens, which was also a new three-day record for November release, besting Interstellar. Spectre currently sits at about $543.8 million worldwide, moving it into the top 10 for this year, which has been a very strong year in uh, in movies, especially with Universal. Maintaining its second place position from last weekend is the Peanuts movie. The film dropped a little more than was projected, but the estimated $24.2 million sophomore session puts the film at $82 million domestically. Overseas, however, it hasn't made much of a dent. Opening in only 12 territories so far, Snoopy and the Gang have generated only $8.1 million, including a disappointing 4.2 from China after two weeks in release. It still has one more weekend to take in as much as it can before Pixar's The Good Dinosaur starts sealing audiences' animated attention. Third place is where we find the week's first newcomer in CBS Films and Lionsgate's Love the Coopers, performing at about what I predicted the uh, holiday family feature brought in an estimated $8.4 million. I guesstimated at nine from 2,603 theaters. A B-minus cinema score doesn't suggest a strong audience response, but being the only such film in wide release, it uh, should have a decent holdover next week. The Martian, now it's the sixth highest grossing release of 2015, continuing its strong run with a 25.9% drop and an estimated $6.7 million in its seventh weekend. Worldwide, it's moved ahead of San Andreas and into 11th position for the year with an, uh, a total cumulative of about 477.9. Finishing fifth is WB's The 33, which kicked off its theatrical run with an estimated $5.8 million. I had guesstimated 15, so I was like way off. Headlined by Antonio Banderas, the Chilean minor drama didn't score enough to make much of its solid A cinema score, but at least those who saw it, 73% of which were over 25, they seemed to enjoy it. Speaking of WB, the studio didn't even announce weekend estimates for... Our Brand is Crisis, which the studio already pulled from 1,700 theaters as it's entering only its third weekend. The Sandra Bullock star managed an estimated $63,000 on Friday from only 501 theaters. 
Finishing in the eighth place was Premratan Danpayo, which opened on Thursday day and date with India, where it scored an opening day record of $8.61 million that beat the previous record holder, Happy New Year, which brought in $8.1 million last year, also opening up during the Diwali Festival in India. Domestically, the film brought in an estimated $2.4 million from 286 theaters this weekend, the fourth largest Bollywood opening of all time in North America, and the largest opener for the film's distributor, FIP. In ninth, we have a career milestone for Adam Sandler, as Hotel Hotel Transylvania added an estimated $2.3 million to its domestic run, which brings its cum to $165.2 million, making it his highest grossing domestic release of all time. Unable to crack the top 10, Averon's My All-American finished in 12th position with an estimated $1.3 million opening from a little over 1,500 theaters for an average of about $889 per theater. Coming on the heels of a similarly themed woodlawn couldn't have helped matters much as My All-American did score an A cinema score with opening day audiences, but that opening is just too low to expect any kind of significant holdover. From there, we have to scroll down way down the charts to find By the Sea, written, directed by and starring Jolie alongside with her husband, Brad Pitt. The 77 disintegrating marriage feature managed only $95,440 on 10 screens. The budget is at a reported $10 million. Universal will expand the film's release into 120 theaters next weekend in hopes of finding a broader audience. Now, this coming weekend is going to be the big challenge for Spectre. Opening up this weekend is... The Hunger Games, Mockingjay, Part 2, rated PG. It's coming in at about 137 minutes as the War of Panem escalates to the destruction of other districts by the capital. Katniss Everdeen, the reluctant leader of the rebellion, must bring together an army against President Snow while all she holds dear hangs in the balance. Of course, starring Jennifer Lawrence, Josh Hutcherson, Liam Hemsworth, and Woody Harrelson. The buzz on this one, well, yes, The Hunger Games is a teen series. It's also a feminist epic starring Oscar-winning actress Jennifer Lawrence that has a lot to say about the influence of media on society, political Depression and how economic inequality can lead to rebellion. The final chapter promises to be more satisfying than the third installment, which was essentially a games-free Hunger Games movie. The director and screenwriter are sure to turn the fall of Pan Am into a visual spectacle that does not skimp on character development. Katniss and Snow's final showdown promises to be spectacular. The Hunger Games finale will be looking to top the $121.8 million opening part one brought in just last year. I don't know. My gut feeling on this one doesn't feel like it's going to reach the $120 million mark. The other movie opening uh, this week and the night before, it's a rated R comedy coming in a little over 100 minutes, so it's fairly short. On Christmas Eve, three lifelong friends, two of whom are Jewish, spend the night in New York City looking for the Holy Grail of Christmas parties. It stars Joseph Gordon-Levitt, Seth Rogen, Jillian Bell, and Lizzie Kaplan. I'm surprised uh, James Franco isn't in there in the mix. A holiday movie starring Joseph Gordon-Levitt, Anthony Mackie, Lizzie Kaplan, as mentioned as well, Mindy Kaling, and Seth Rogen. How can you skip that one, right? Also opening up in limited release is Legend, coming in at at 131 minutes, rated R. The film tells the story of the identical twin gangsters, Reggie and Ronnie Cray, two of the most notorious criminals in British history. The story has been done before, or, or at least the story about them in the movie The Craze, I think it was um, 80s, 90s, somewhere around there, and uh, it's about their organized crime empire in the East End of London during the 1960s. It's directed by Brian Hegland, who wrote L.A. Confidential, so we'll see how that goes. It stars Tom Hardy and Emily Browning. Moving on to other movie news. This is a little, I find this a little personal for me because when I saw this story on moviepilot.com, I had to share it. So I'm going to talk about it right now. Back in 2002, a film was released that was so bad, so unbelievably unpolished and so ridiculous that when I saw the trailer for it, I couldn't understand how on earth Hollywood would allow this to happen. Then one day I actually saw Kung Pao 
enter the fist. And since then, I've lost count of just how many times I've seen it. I still can't explain it, but it's one movie that'll always make me laugh, despite how cringeworthy it should have been to me. This is exactly what's on MoviePilot.com, by the way. It's saying pretty much everything that I'm thinking. To this day, it remains one of the most quotable movies among my group of friends, and I can't even say the name of Nintendo's Wii U console without thinking of the film's heroine. Steve Odekirk, the writer, director, and star of the original cult film, recently made an appearance at Dragon Fest last week, where he announced that he was finally moving forward with the development of a Kung Pao sequel. The first question that many will ask themselves is why? But to the rest of us who have fallen in love with this film, we're excited to see what Steve does with the sequel. There's a very good chance that movie will be in every way as horrible as the first, and uh, honestly, we're all genuinely excited about that prospect. Odekirk isn't just the one-man force behind the film, though. He has helped write the scripts for several films, such as Bruce Almighty, the Jimmy Neutron movie, Ace Ventura, When Nature Calls, and uh, Cowboys and Aliens. So, the guy's got chops. Kung Pao was able to craft its story from editing and clipping together various clips from the Chinese film Tiger and Crane Fist, while also poorly dubbing over the audio on purpose to add to the comedic tone of the film. I'm going to add this myself. Not only do they put together various clips of the movie, but they superimpose his, his face on a character. They superimpose him in scenes. They superimpose other people into scenes. They added their own original scenes to be interspersed in the movie. So it's it's a, a huge undertaking in and of itself. I, I love the film. Uh, continuing on with the article. If Odekirk is moving ahead with a sequel, that means that he's not only got a story in mind that'll continue the adventure of The Chosen One, but he's also found another movie that he can take apart and use in this film. Honestly, I'm excited for it. The person who wrote the article excited about it. This movie's ingrained into my memory, and now I'm probably going to watch it again. What Odekirk needs to do to improve the sequel. All right, here we go. Amp the cheese up tremendously. Let the film be as corny as it can possibly be. The first movie ended with a setup for a sequel. I'm personally hoping we discover the secret behind the evil council. Could we find our hero being spliced into an old French kung fu film? God, I hope so. Whatever you do, Mr. Odekirk, don't hold back anything. If there's anything the success of three Sharknado films has taught us, is that it pays to know exactly what your product is and to embrace your fan base. Bring on Kung Pao 2, Tongue of Fury. And myself... Now I'm going to go on a side note. If you've not seen Kung Pao Enter the Fist, it really is <laughs> a, a stupid, funny movie. If you haven't seen it, I can't understand why you're listening to this show. And uh, if you are listening to the show and you look forward to listening to the show, watch Kung Pao Enter the Fist. Although chances are, if you do listen to the show, you already have. Uh, on to music. This one I can't believe. And I wish Joe was here so I can discuss this with him. How much would you pay for a selfie with Justin Bieber? Yeah. Well, prices for a meet-and-greet with the Canadian star are being advertised for a cool $2,000. That's how much one of the VIP packages for his Purpose World Tour appears to be going for on some U.S. ticket sites. Many believers aren't pleased, and there's a hashtag, Justice for Broke Liebers, has been trending. The ultimate purpose experience includes, are you ready for this? One selfie with Justin Bieber, a backstage tour, and an official tour plaque. Really? There's a less expensive VIP option going for about $925, but fans only get a group photo for that price and not an individual one. The cheapest package is advertised for $375, but it doesn't look like you get to meet Justin for that price, only a merchandise set, a dedicated VIP entrance, and an exclusive laminate. Prices for meet and greets can vary according to artist management and concert venues. The Vamps are charging $212 for a VIP package on their UK tour that comes with a pre-show photo experience, whilst meeting Jason Derulo at London's O2 next February will set you back $245. Really? Are artists that hard up for cash that they have to try and gouge 
money from their fans. Really, this is what alienates me and makes me sick about pop music. As you know, I'm a metal fan, a lifelong metal fan, and uh, I've had the opportunity to meet quite a few artists, and I don't remember any of them asking me for $2,000 for a freaking picture. I spent uh, half an hour talking to a legendary black metal guitarist from Venom after a show. Mantis, I mean, come on, $2,000 for Justin Bieber? Screw you. Newsbeat has contacted uh, Bieber's management for a response. Nothing yet. So um, I don't blame them because they're coming across as uh, a-holes asking for $2,000 really for a, a VIP and one selfie with Justin Bieber. That's one of the reasons I want to go see Zoolander. Did you see the trailer for Zoolander 2 with uh, Ben Stiller and Owen Wilson? Bieber gets it. So uh, watch the trailer, and then you'll understand why I'd rather pay 12 bucks to go see that movie than $2,000 to get a selfie with Justin Bieber. That'll do it for episode number 12, a short, truncated version of the Small Hours Podcast. And I hope you understand. It's a, a really odd week for doing this kind of thing. So we'll be back to normal, God willing, next week for episode number 13. And I'm fairly certain I'm going to have a special guest for that one. There are plans to have a special surprise guest for episode number 13. So hopefully we'll be able to work that one out. If not, I'll do a special episode with that special guest on its own. If you want to reach out to us, you can always email us, smallhoursemail at gmail.com. That includes if you're a hard rock or metal band that would like to be featured as our track of the week that email again small hours email at gmail.com and if you're an artist who has been a featured track of the week and you know of other people that uh, you know maybe fit along what we do here give them my email have them get in touch with me i'd love to feature them on the small hours podcast don't forget you can find us at the small hours.podbean.com that's the small hours.podbean.com and uh, we'll hope to be back to full strength next week with episode number 13 That'll do it for this show. You've been listening to the Small Hours Podcast with Al Guevara. I'm Al Guevara. We'll catch you next time.